Welcome back to Jump Scare. I'm Betty. And I'm Shad. This week we covered 1995's Lord of Illusions. Something is watching. Something is listening. Something is coming. How would you like to see the world the way it really is? What's going on here? Detective Harry Damour is walking a path. I want you to help me. Will you take the job, Mr. Damour? Where do I sign up? Between what can be seen. People are dying here. I want to know why. I've heard a name. Somebody they talk about in whispers. Who? Nix. And what must be feared? Nix is dead and buried. What the hell is wrong with you people? Haven't you seen enough to know that doesn't matter? No. I don't want him getting in the way. We've always waited too long to have the homecoming spoiled. Every step he takes. The drone. The dark side. You don't like that. Not much. It's your destiny. Accept it. Brings him closer to the truth. He could get into people's heads. Make them see things. Terrible things. See, that's his best trick. No illusions, just the truth. If Nix is back from the dead, then he is some kind of a god. In a world where magic is real, death is the ultimate illusion. I was born to murder the world. My wisdom. It's not real. Stop looking at me! You want to come with me, Damor? I've got so much power to give you. All you have to do is beg. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I was going to say 1995. I can't even... I know I saw movies during that time, but I can't even like pinpoint exact movies. If I, if I look it up, I'll be like, oh yeah, sure, I did see that. And I do have a album of tickets from like 1994, may have like one or two tickets that I save movie tickets until like 20, probably 14. Or I have like all the movie tickets from all the films that I saw. I have it like in a little scrapbook thingy. Like one of those like acid. They don't even make those anymore. I went looking for one. It's like the sticky page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, They just have like the like the plastic sleeves that you just slide stuff into. Or just like the regular like brown paper. Well, because those things were terrible. After a few years, you can never get the shit out. It was always glued there permanently. Yeah, but it's perfect for them tickets, though. And yeah. it keeps the tickets, like, the actual, um, like, the date and stuff on a lot of them. Yeah, it doesn't you can fade still like some of it, yeah. Them. Some, some of, of those thermal can... printers are better than others in the theaters, and so some of them lasted longer than others. Yeah, for real, because I have some tickets where it's just, like, literally paper, and you can't, it's just a blank ticket. You can't see anything, <laughs> be, but I'm like, whatever. this could have been something amazing. Well, this film, I did not see in the theater, did you? I did, because of course, you know, I'm a Clive Barker fanatic, so anything that had his name on it, I was right there, first day in line, like, yes, 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 yes. So the short story? The short story is called The Last Illusion, it's based off of, and it's really, the movie 
shares a little some characters in common with it, but the story is pretty different. The story itself is about the magician Swan who dies and you discover that he had made a deal with the devil for his magical powers. And if his body isn't claimed by the devil by midnight, he gets away, he gets out of the deal. So he hires the detective, Harry D'Amour, to make sure his body isn't taken by the devil. And you also find out that his like servant in the story that you thought was human was a demon. They never really got into that into the in the movie, but uh, the story's pretty short, but it's pretty good. You know, it's just basically a you know, a basic thing of he's got to fight the demons until midnight. He keeps them away. But like I said, other than that, that's all it has in common with the movie is the names of the characters. He's a magician. That's it. Wait, isn't the bad guy's name Nix and the good guy's name Swan? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Swan was the good guy in the story too. Oh, okay. The magician was just, it was just Swan. I just may have not said that. Um... No, I just wanted to make sure because I'm really terrible with names. So yeah. I wanted to make sure. But the uh, bad guy. Nix. Nix. So Scott Bakula is in this film alongside Femke Jansen. Yeah. Jansen, if you guys are watched anything that's maybe sci-fi slash horror. She was in that um, TV show Hemlock Grove. She was the mom. Yeah, she was in GoldenEye, of course. That's where most people remember her from, because GoldenEye came out the same year. And it kind of, no one really remembered her from Lord of Illusions after that, after she was Xenia on a top. <laughs> wow, Xenia on a top. Okay. Yeah. And then the majority of people, other people in order from X-Men. Yep. And you also got Kevin O'Connor in this one, who most people are going to remember from the original Mummy movie. He was the... Uh, the sniveling little assistant guy that uh, gets uh, becomes the what's his name uh, Emotep. He becomes yeah. his servant. Oh yeah, this is cursed. Uh, he was obsessed with things being cursed. Uh, so Scott ba- Scott Bakula, that was a weird. So this is like how okay. So <laughs> let's go back to how you think this casting occurred because he hadn't been. I not I'm not really sure because remember I was maybe like I was a certain young age at this point in my life, so and throughout the you Scott know Scott Bakula was just coming off a of quantum leap at this point. That's what I was gonna ask. Quantum and leap. I think he was looking to try and do something a little edgier so that people would think of him not so much as uh, what's his name from Quantum Leap. Now this character that he's playing the the more is he a recurring character within the Clive Barker universe? Yeah. He's, other than Pinhead, he's probably, with the, I think, the only character that recurs a lot in Clive Barker's stuff. He first appeared in that last illusion story, and then he was in another short story called Lost Souls. And he shows up at the end of the novel, The Great and Secret Show, and then he's in the sequel to that called Everville. He's in the entire book. And then in the most recent one he was in is when they Barker did the story called The Scarlet Gospels that finishes off the whole Pinhead story. Diamore is in that one. He's helping the characters in that go to hell and try to kill Pinhead. Wow. Okay. Well, how does he get caught up? I mean, this has nothing to do with the film, but <laughs> I have to ask. How does he get caught up in that whole like universe? Why is he... Because in the film, he's kind of already in the occults. Um, like, you know, solving cases or, like, interested in it. It was the same way in the books. They had mentioned that they had gone to him in the original story just because he'd been involved with things like that in the past. And uh, 
by the time you get to the Scarlet Gospels, he's been through all kinds of shit because I don't know if you've ever read The Great and Secret Show. It's a very... Uh, two guys basically working at the post office discover a whole bunch of letters in the dead letter office with secret knowledge in it. They end up becoming like non-corporeal beings fighting across the United States and they eventually crash into a lake and then any the women that swim in the lake later on, the young girls, all become pregnant even though none of them had sex give birth to children that have special power. It gets really fucking trippy. Okay. And Dean Moore gets involved in that. Well, now the film begins where it's like 1982 and all these people are like in this like house. Out in the middle of the desert. It looks very suspiciously like the Manson house. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to live there, nor do I want to visit anyone that lived there. Um, yeah, or I don't want to know anyone that's ever been to that house. I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a lot of psychological different like aspects and uh, reasons why one would be in a cult. But if my cult that I was interested in or that I was in, if I lived in a shitty house where <laughs> there was like shit on the walls and... You know, there was like sand in my asshole because I live in the fucking desert. And I have like a terrible opened area where there's like a, I don't know, weird heart, carcass, rib cage, bone looking sacrificial thing in the corner. And don't forget the baboon that's just roaming around the fucking premises. Oh, yes. And the fucking baboon. If those were things that were in the house that I lived in with my cult, I feel like there would have been a moment where I was like, what am I doing with my life? What the fuck is this? Why am I in this situation? Everyone that is a part of this cult is fucking insane. Actually, let me just go before we get into that. I just want to tell everyone, I despise this movie. This movie, <laughs> watching this film actually made me like reevaluate who I am as a horror fan. And if I wanted to tell the five people that are listening to this podcast... If, do I like Clive Barker? I don't know. I don't know if I like him or not. I love Hellraiser 1, 2, 3. And I love the novel that he wrote, Weave World, which is eh, horror-esque. It's not really horror. I would say it's more... It's kind of a horror fantasy. Fantasy horror. Uh, fantastic novel. But I'm not a fan of anything else that he's done. I found this movie to be very... It, it was like, what was the point of the movie? There's no point... Why are these people so dedicated to this dude? Fine, he can fucking do magic. Cool. But the magic's not making me rich. It's not making my boobs bigger. It's not freaking making me intelligent. There's The magic is not doing anything for me. So why am I following this dude that has a baboon with some weird, you know, ribcage thing in the desert with sand in my ass? And there's like a freaking 12-year-old girl gonna be the sacrifice later on in the fucking ceremony all like tied up in the corner. What am I doing? It's the same with any of these cults. Why did anybody follow him? Why did they follow Manson? Manson wasn't good looking. He wasn't rich. He didn't have anything going for him, but he just was able. He was charismatic enough to talk these people into doing crazy shit. It's the same in this, except this guy, besides having the ability to talk you into shit, he can levitate things and do things with his mind. So then you're like, okay, sure, this guy's cool. And then he, of course, he promises them, like, you will get some of my power when, you know, I'm going to make you powerful. I'm going to need servants to do this sort of thing. It's just about their greed. 
And I don't know if you noticed that whenever he was like, come to me or whatever, later on, and they all start just breaking glass and crawling across it and everything, they're not all together in the head either. So No, that part towards, it's like, not the end of the movie, but towards the end, it's it's too much. It's it's like Clive Barker, like to the one hundredth power. It, like, but it's c- totally Clive Barker because he's all into that, and that shit is wild. Like, you're looking at this, and I was just like, this is fucking nuts. Well, I don't know if you've noticed it, but a lot of the themes of his movies are about like, you know, harming yourself for fun and pleasure. Uh, I mean, all the pinheads, that's all the Cenobites, that's all they're doing is, you know, they're taking the S&M to the nth degree. And these people are the same way. Well, in this film, you know, just right in the beginning, you get, like, what's happening. And then, of course, like in all things, the evil's defeated. And then there's a lapse of time where everything is, you know, I guess, okay. The um, swan guy becomes, like, the David Blaine of, like, you know, fucking Nevada and or wherever the fuck they're at and they're then, in la they're in la okay he becomes like david blaine so he's like mad rich and he has like the wife or whatever you know trophy wife and the big ass house and then some crazy shit starts happening again and then i'm just like okay that's how scott Bakula gets involved with a murder investigation and somehow leads to him and dorothea the wife who's femka jamson and then they... well, of course it had been it had been 13 years yeah oh 13 years because okay. it was 82 to 95 so it wasn't been... 12 years it was exactly it was 13 years 13 years you know 13 has magic powers no i yeah i totally get so, it so that's why it was at the 13th year that he had been dead they were going to try and bring nicks back yeah so and the question is was he really dead or was he just kept in some sort of like uh, you know, like suspended animation or like some kind of terrible state because they kind of held him down and just screwed a magic mask onto his head and then buried him in a pit in the desert. So was he dead or was he just alive but unable to move? So yeah, they put like the iron and like an iron maiden mask on his face. And then they were supposed to bury him really deep. Like, the description, like, if you read, like, the plot, it's, like, they buried him extremely deep. Whoever buried him, which was the ex... That's who saves a girl, which are the ex-cult leaders, you know, the people that have escaped the cult and come back and say, hey, this shit's crazy. We need to stop this fucking guy. They didn't bury him deep enough. They did a terrible job. Yeah, I would have also poured some cement around the body myself just to be safe. Maybe some, you know, holy water or some crosses, something, anything... I mean, it worked for Sam Neill in, in The Mouth of Madness with the crosses all over him. I would, I'd give it a try here. Yeah, do, do better, okay? Because this was a, a terrible, terrible, not well thought out plan. Mind you, of course, obviously, they went in there kind of like guns blazing, no plan whatsoever. Um, that's at least what it looked like. And they did get their heads fucked up a little bit by magic at the end of it. So, you know, maybe they weren't thinking exactly straight when they, you know, buried the uh, cult leader guy. Yeah, the dedication that these people have um, later down the line, once it's revealed that he's back. Yeah, all... they all just get a letter in the mail. It's like, Nix is back. Yay, everyone, kill your entire family. Let all the snakes at the zoo loose where you're working. Do whatever crazy shit you feel like doing and just come on back to the desert. And they all do. To the shit stained walls and the carcass room. It's now 13 years worse. 
So, yeah, it really stinks in there. It's like, how do you... I mean, hey, that would probably explain later on why they're literally walking on glass and fucking scalping themselves. Yeah, the place is not pleasant to be in. Yeah, because it, it's just the smell just makes you want to just take your scalp off. Now, this was a scene that was cut from the original theatrical release. They didn't restore this until I think it was on uh, VHS. And some of the other scenes in the movie didn't come back until it was on DVD and Blu-ray. But in the theaters, it was kind of strange because, you know, Nick just shows back up in the desert later and all the cult people are there and you had no idea how they got there. They all just, it kind of lets you wonder, like, did they just wait out there in the desert all this time? Or, you know, what what were they doing? And you see in this one, like, the one woman is so intent on this that, you know, she kills her husband, both kids, and just packs up her shit and goes back out to the desert. So I can see why that was a little intense for them back in 1995 that they probably had to cut that because... As soon as Clive Barker rolled up into the rating room, they were like, NC-17. I'm sure before they even watched the movie, they already had the rating ready for that one. They just had to argue about how much they had to cut to get it to an R. Yeah, because he wrote and directed this film. So. Yeah, and he's known for the crazy shit he's done in other movies. So, yeah, you know they were after this movie from the beginning. I don't even know how they would even let him make a movie because it's, it's like, oh, he went, mm, I don't know, that's us. It's well, going to look is... like a freaking 8mm film. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because he's only done uh, three... He's only directed three movies, Hellraiser, Nightbreed, and this. And really, they haven't even done that many adaptions of his stuff after this. There's been a few like straight-to-video adaptions of stories from the Books of Blood and the Midnight Meat Train, but they really haven't done a whole lot after this. Yeah, well, maybe this whole new Hulu thing that's happening in October, the Books of Blood, that's gonna maybe jumpstart something there i hope so because i'd like to see i think the character of harry diamor could work well as like its own series like investigating cult things but i don't think scott bakula was the right guy for it because he just looks like you know every you know normal guy he looks the kind of guy that you know puts on a suit and goes to work and comes home watches you know everyone loves raymond and then goes to bed you wow. need somebody kind of creepy and weird looking, someone kind of strange. And and according to the books, you need someone covered in tattoos. But for 1995, just the fact that they even showed that Scott Bakula had a single tattoo in this was probably pretty wild to most people because, you know, the mid-90s, it was still just, you know, the whole tattoo thing was just starting to take off. Well, let me tell you, I... He was fine. He was fine in the movie. He didn't ruin the movie or anything. It's... No, he wasn't bad. I just think somebody better, like um, someone like a little odd looking, like maybe Guy Pierce from Memento and that. Would I have was going to say Urich, uh, uh, Skeet Urich. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, not Skeet Urich. No. <laughs> you said someone weird looking. <laughs> I was the first person about this. My Guy Pierce, he's too attractive. I guess I could see. Can it be David Tennant, even though technically he did kind of play a illusionist in that terrible remake I should not speak of? Yeah. No, not David Tennant. Okay, well. You need somebody that you... I think somebody unknown that you didn't really, you know, have any kind of association with would be best, actually. Yeah, well, you know, he he did whatever. And Famke Jamson. It's weird seeing her, like, I've seen so many things with her like throughout her years and then going back and seeing her she just looks so crazy young in this film i mean she was young but you know she's like so different i didn't even know that she was in the bond thing so we're i'm gonna have to look that up i've seen the movie but it's just like aren't all those bond movies the same they can't they are they're all the same yeah 
especially like the uh, this one was the first GoldenEye was the first one they had done in a while, so they kind of fell back to formula on that one in a lot of ways. I, I love them; they're they're entertaining, but it's not something that I'm going to be like, oh, you know, this person was a Bond girl in this movie, or I don't know the details of the films and yeah. or the novels. <laughs> um, but Clive Barker, I don't know. You know, you do you, you said that he directed those three movies, and I'm like, and out of the three, I only like Hellraiser. I also have a very strong disdain for Nightbreed. I don't get it. I need it's one of those films I need to watch again because I've seen it like three times, but I may have fallen asleep one time, the one of the times, and then the other times I was just like, I don't get. I'm throughout the whole film thinking. I don't get it. Well, what? Why is everyone in love with this film? This film is fucking terrible. <laughs> I can tell you why everybody's in love with Nightbreed. Tell me, I want to know. Why is everyone in love with Nightbreed? Because before that movie came out, all you saw were the pictures of all the creatures that were going to be in it. Uh, you know, I've got a. At the time, in every single Marvel comic that came out, they they attached a little booklet in there that was like. The Guide to Midian and its Monsters. And it's like a little fold-out booklet that showed you all these different crazy monsters and had their biographies in it. Told you what they liked, disliked, all this. You know, it had all this in it. And then the back covers of a lot of the books were, you know, Nightbreed is coming, Nightbreed is coming. And then you see the commercials on TV, and the commercials on TV play up an entirely different angle of it, you know. And then when you get to the movie, they had edited out a lot of the scenes of the creatures so they were all just kind of in the background and a lot of people at the time were kind of disappointed because they're like oh where were all the creatures later on when they do like the restored version you see a whole hell of a lot more of all the creatures but barker's stuff is just too weird and intense for like mainstream he needs to have like his stuff needs to go to netflix or prime something like that where there's going to be like a niche market for it you know yeah, I don't think people are ready. I think that, obviously, you can't really translate a lot in film because there's a lot of things you just can't do or you couldn't do at the time. So, And his stuff is very detailed, very graphic. There's a lot going on. So you miss, I'm sure, a lot of what he's trying to say um, in it when it, you know, when you watch films like that. But Hellraiser, I think, got it right on the money. I definitely think Nightbreed and Weave World are kind of in the same world to some degree because you know i think he likes that like all of those have the whole theme not so much lord of illusions but there's like another world living with our world yeah it's right beside us but the normal people can't see it yeah and they're like either hell like fucking hell spawn worlds like dimensions or whatever or like things that are going to bring you some kind of some kind of like pleasure but not the way that you think (laughs) and with nightbreed it's kind of like if you don't fit in you're a weirdo you don't belong you end up in midian where all the monsters are at and it may be necessary you know not necessarily because of how you look it's how you act there's different crazy reasons you end up in midian but yeah that's you know that place is like right outside town and nobody ever bothered to go out there well, it's called Midian. I don't think anyone thought, um, this is going to be that new nice gated community that I heard all about. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to go out there and uh, see what's going on. But my question throughout this whole film was to Scott Bakula, the more character. It was just like, how are you going to go against 
Like, he's so fucking gung-ho. Like, I'm going to do this. Like, I get he's like a private investigator or whatever. And he has his little dealings with the occult. But the balls that you have to have, after you see, like, the things that he saw, I would not be going out to any, like, weird cult house, you know, trying to rescue anybody. He Well, he was going out there to rescue the girl, too. So Yeah, fuck the girl. The girl, I just met her five seconds ago just because I banged her. Spoiler alert, they banged. Just because I banged her and we had one <laughs> night of fucking pleasure. Maybe we did it, like, five times. Bye. Like, I can have sex with 20 other fucking girls. Come on. Come on. I'm not trying to save this chick. Like, I'm done with you. Bye. And I get if they hadn't had sex. And then he was like, I'm going to go out of my way to save her because I want to bang her. He already had done that. I know that sounds really terrible, but let's just get real. It's 1995 in this film. And just a lot of guys think like that. It's not saying it's, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that shit happens. Well, you know, of course, in the books, too, Damore has a little bit more abilities than he does. They bothered to show in the movie because I think they wanted to kind of ease into it because there's already enough crazy shit going on here. If you if the private detective has, you know, tattoos that alert you to monsters and do different things and uses magic. See, that's fucking pretty dope. Like sigils and shit that and see that I'm getting into. Like, see, now that's what I'm talking about, like different things that are not able to translate or they just left out of the book because I would have thought that they would have made the film better because it gives the, you know, the savior some kind of more of an advantage. This is a regular yeah. Joe Schmo guy going against this crazy fucking guy and his gang. It's not like, it's not like the warriors. They're not, you know, going around, snapping you know, snapping fingers. fingers and fucking singing musicals and doing sling blades, you know. That, that might be a different movie than the warriors, but. <laughs> well, they're going to warriors. They're fucking singing. Come on. Everyone knows that that's a musical. That's <laughs> they, uh, Yeah, in the books, he has a lot more, like, he's covered in tattoos. And he has, like, all these different tattoos that protect you from different kinds of demons. Tattoos that he talks about that itch when certain people are around that, like, alert you to certain things. So he has all tattoo. these, like, all over him. So, But, of course, like I said, in 1995, if they shoved a character on the poster that was covered in tattoos, people would have been like, what the fuck is this? This movie's weird. I don't know. And already the movie was, they, you know, people stayed away in record numbers from this one already. So if they had done that, it would have been even worse. It actually, in today's standard, it, it did terribly, but it cost like $11 million to make. And it made like $13.3 million. So it made its money back and then a little extra, you but know, which is shocking. Really... Yeah, we're not going to have Avengers numbers. And there's not going to be a sequel. Like, what would the sequel be called? Just think about it. Um... I'm going to need a good name. I'm trying to think of a name right now. What the sequel to Lord of Illusions uh, would be called. But <laughs> Devil's Hole. No. Um, no? Okay. No, I'm, I'm vetoing that now. <laughs> no, you just got to come up with it. Like I said, they were trying to start this off, I think, like as a franchise for the character. But it just didn't take off because they didn't really explore enough of Demore's character in it. They didn't really get into that very much as to why he did what he did and why he was... You know why he kept having flashbacks to different things. And they just need to flesh the characters out a little more, I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know it's a horror film. It's not going to be all deep or whatever. But if you're going to have, like, these characters be going through these heavy-duty, like, things. And there's a cult going on. And there's kidnappings. There's a a fucking... um, What's-his-face? Swan fakes his death. Like, which I was like, that was a waste of time. Come on, guy. If you are, have some kind of magical power, that means you have to be emanating that. 
and that can be found by someone else that has magical powers. How much of a hideout? That was the other thing that pissed me off. I was like, so he's hiding out so he doesn't have to like deal with it or he he doesn't have to go against Nyx, but Nyx is going to know you're alive. He's not going to stop. Well, he's just trying to get out of town because him and his servant, which again, you know, if they really wanted to get out of there, they should have just, him and his servant should have packed up, got their shit and left. Went to a whole nother city, whole nother country, and hid out. And just told the girl, see ya, and just split and Yeah, let's her. go to Germany, you know, somewhere where no one's going to want to go. But yeah, he, you know, he cared enough about the about uh, the character Dorothea that he didn't want to leave her behind and have, you know, Nix come after her. Or his, no, sorry, Nix's servants. Yeah. But, so then, he really needed to fake all their deaths and just get out of there. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's... Yeah, just get the passports ready. He had enough money. He could have done. Yeah. He could have done something. And then he dies like a punk. So, so the spoiler alert, Swan. I mean, he, you know, puts his power against. Of course, you're going to have to have, like, the good guy with the power go against, like, the, you know, the bad guy. So there's a very underwhelming scene. I felt it was underwhelming. Well, this is another thing that's kind of, you know, the effects and the budget kind of hamstrung this because. I'm sure with modern CGI and effects, they could do a lot better, you know, battle with these guys than they did back at the time. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, didn't Titanic come out in the same year? No, it was 97. Okay. Well, fine. They had a two year. I was gonna say, they those... also didn't have Titanic money for this. They, <laughs> they did not have, they did not have James Cameron's money behind this movie. James Cameron was selling like children and everything else to get money for Titanic and they they didn't go that far with this okay touche touche I just I'm trying to think of another film that came out in 95 that isn't as bad as this but had some graphic things but all those graphics in those films are really terrible because yeah 90 CGI is not is not good yeah it's it isn't good at all unless it's Jurassic Park it's just not good Sick. They have to have that uh, Spielberg money. See, everyone, they all have to have some kind of high-powered money to make them look good. There were a lot of scenes in this I really love, though. I love the... I wish they had shown more of Swan doing the magic on stage. Because I love that he was doing like a crazy combination of like Houdini-type acts. Where it's like, can he escape from it before the giant swords fall on him and kill him? And it also kind of looked like the whole tarot card thing. Where the guy's going to be is pierced by the swords and all that. I love that part of it. And I love when they go visit the the Magic Castle, which is out in L.A., which, of course, is a real place. But it, We have to go there. It sounds magical. Yeah, and... <laughs> magical. Uh, it's a little amped up in this one. It's not just magicians in it. It's people that practice real magic and all that are there in this one. And I... Yeah, I, I love those scenes where it's like the crazy house with booby traps and everything. And even though there's some kind of crazy 90s CGI in that too, I did like that because at least that you can be like, oh, okay, well, they were just trying to make something cheesy look there, a cheesy look to it there. Yeah. How many nights did you give this film? Uh, because of the, my love for all things Barker and all this, I'm going to give this at least three knives. Okay. Um, oh, my favorite scene, since we're sharing favorite scenes. My favorite scene was the credits at the end. That was my favorite scene. And I give this film negative one knife. Wow. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be a complete asshole. I gave it two two knives. Begrudgingly. Okay. Begrudgingly. Yeah, because I, you know, I can't give it one knife. And I, I can't remember what I did give negative knives. I did give a negative knife one. Was it? I can't remember <laughs> was what that it? was. Was it the Antrim? Antrim asshole uh, revolution. 
It might have been. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe. I, we're going to have to go back and see because we need to definitely score. So I know where I have my scoring system, where it lies. Uh, but yeah, I give it two knives. And I, like I said, I do think they can bring this character back now. I wish they would bring it back in like a, the character back rather in like a uh, series type thing because they could do a lot of, even a lot of the books of blood stories themselves could be rewritten to be, you know, to add Demore's character to them because you just have to have like a character. There's one I think called Pig Blood Blues about where there's some strange shit going on at a boarding school and they and they do send someone to investigate what's going on. So all you have to, have to do with that one is just kind of slightly rewrite it to write Demore's character into it and boom, there you go. Yeah. So they could do a lot of these, especially the Barker stories could be rewritten to add Demore to them and I wish they would. Well, uh, maybe just send a letter or tweet out to Clive Barker, maybe throw that out there. And, uh, you know, catch the Books of Blood on Hulu next month. Yeah, we I'm definitely. To see that. Yeah, we will definitely be watching that. I will stay awake for that and stay tuned to the horror guys. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.